It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is episode 69 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. And this is the podcast where we talk about all of your non-technical questions about mostly technical fields like software development. Yep. <laughs> no more words go here uh we have some good uh, comments from listeners about the the stuff we said about graduate school which is fantastic because mm-hmm. we don't dave and i haven't been to grad school uh so i've been <laughs> these inside people... no, no no i've been inside one okay that yeah that's i true. had lunch in a grad um, school cafeteria a few weeks ago yeah you're right i have been to harvard <laughs> um I rode my bike through it's, Harvard today. <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> so it's like you know how in races they have those tables set up where you just like grab a thing of water off off the table as yeah. you're going by. <laughs> it's like that, but with degrees. You just yeah. like blast it through, picked up your masters yep. on my bike. Tomorrow you'll pick up your PhD <laughs> on my way home. Actually, <laughs> okay, on your way home. So yeah, this was not bad for uh, Jameson is referring to episode sixty-seven. If you want to pause and go back. Uh, but we made some, we expressed some opinions about graduate school, and we got some mm-hmm. great feedback from a couple of listeners. We'd like to share that with you. Do you want to read the first one? Oh, yes, I will. Uh, this comes from a listener named Matt. Matt says, hi, Jameson and Dave. In the most recent episode, loved it as always. He actually wrote that. Oh, Thanks, Matt. Oh, you. Oh, Matt. <laughs> you shared your thoughts about getting a master's degree and whether or not it's a valuable career move. While I generally agree with your perspective that a master's degree usually doesn't matter, my experience was quite different. I was an intern at my first job just before starting my master's program. At the end of the summer, the company made an offer for full-time work. As part of the offer, I was to work full-time the following summer between my two master's academic years at salary X. Upon completion of my degree the following summer, I would return again for the full-time work at a salary that was 12% higher than salary X. Condition upon my successful completion of the degree. Furthermore, the company paid my master's tuition. So it would appear that that particular company was very interested and invested in graduate level education, even though my master's degree was in information systems and not computer science. Anyway, if this perspective is useful, feel free to share it on the air. Thanks for your great work and funny jokes. Soft Skills is one of my favorite podcasts. Thanks, Matt. All right. Yeah, I I wish we could talk to Matt because I have so many questions about this. First of all, that's awesome that it that it worked out really well for you. Mm-hmm. I want to know if if you're using the thing you studied for your master's degree or is it just the act of getting a master's degree? Was the company interested in you having a master's degree or was it interested in like you working there and getting a master's degree would, would help you stay there? I didn't phrase that right. And what if you, so the his ba- Matt's bachelor's degree was in information systems. What if his bachelor's had been in computer science? Would the company still want them want him to get a master's? You know, like, did that play into it? I don't think he says what his bachelor's was in. No, he did. No, he says he got his master's in information systems. Oh, my bad. I read that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> That means you don't have the part of your brain available that understands stuff. That's right. Because <laughs> reading it out loud takes up all of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I just say words and my brain is all focused on not saying the wrong words. And even then it can't usually do that. Okay. That, that's very interesting. So they, the company paid for a master's degree in information systems and we don't know what the bachelor's was. It was probably art. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, maybe art history. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just teasing. Okay. Cool. Well, any, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that worked out for you. I would also love to know how big of a company this is. I feel like this is probably a larger company. Actually, I know the company size. It was um, about 50 engineers, maybe a, okay. 100 people, 200 people total. Oh, wow. That's smaller than I would have yeah, expected. Yeah, it is. Huh. Interesting. Cool. Well, yeah. that's, that's good perspective that I did not have. Cool. You want to read our next comment? Okay. This is from an anonymous listener. I love the show. You know what? Uh, we do edit these comments and we may or may not add superlatives about how awesome we are to all of them. <laughs> Just kidding. This is real. I love the show. In your recent episode, you were talking about the value of a graduate degree. I'd like to share my experience. I have a master's degree and a PhD. After finishing my PhD, I found it very difficult to get a job. Many employers told me flat out they would never hire anyone with a PhD because they can't do practical work and have their head in the clouds all the time. Um, which is so hot right now, what with AWS and, yeah, the cloud. and digital ocean. <laughs> yeah. Like head in the clouds that, that screams money. Um, <laughs> I eventually got a job as a web developer and concluded that my graduate degrees were a waste of time. However, last year after I'd been working for 10 years as a professional software developer, I got a job with an AI startup with a 50% increase in salary, breaking past a salary ceiling that I had hit in the web development world and an opportunity to work on really exciting technology with a great team. My PhD was instrumental in getting the job. More specifically, the combination of practical software engineering skills and the ability to read, understand, and apply scientific papers was what the investors backing the startup were looking for. Uh, indeed, we require at least a master's degree for any job applicant, as without that, they would be lost in understanding the work that we are doing. So anyway, that might be helpful to some people. Keep up the great podcast. Wow, cool story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, pretty and consistent. All it, all it took, all it took, was seventeen years. That's right. <laughs> Just seven years to get a master's and a PhD, and ten more years of practical software development work. And boom, AI startup. It's that easy. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is actually quite consistent with the comments you and I made uh, in episode sixty-seven, where we were talking about how this machine learning craze that's really picking up recently seems to be. Uh, geared towards higher education or people who mm -hmm. have degree advanced degrees for sure yeah and this is like a poster boy story i have dabbled in it a little bit and i think i know enough about it to know that i would be able to be like a grunt implementing some stuff I, i'd be like the code monkey version of a machine learning developer you know where like someone with a phd tells me what to do and then i do it but if anything weird goes wrong I, i'm stymied it so you're you're the developer that has to like strip white space off of the big data ingest process yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i just write a lot of pearl scripts and <laughs> hand the results back to someone with a phd a 50 percent salary increase that's awesome that's great that's big yeah i think th this also feels like a a market thing too i mean mm -hmm. it, i think if ai and machine learning was not exploding it might they they might still just be a web developer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 10 years, right? 10 years of that. Um, the, the listener says that there was a ceiling, right? That after 10 years, yeah. it just couldn't really break through. But boom, overnight, this machine learning craze and suddenly 50% raise. But it, it is interesting in that I think you could probably, well, I don't know. You might be able to get a PhD planning on working in, in this field now in a way that you mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to 15 years ago oh, or whenever, yeah. whenever this listener got their PhD. Yep. Um, and one of the interesting things about machine learning and AI 
is that it doesn't seem to matter what, what your PhD was in, right? Like you could be focused on chemistry or physics or bioinformatics, and then suddenly you are a, a plausible candidate for uh, an engineering position working in machine learning. And really? I, oh, yeah. Like we at my last job, huh. we employed three or four data scientists who had PhDs in all kinds of crazy fields. They, I mean, they all have to have a pretty strong math background, though. Absolutely. Right? Like, PhD in art history, maybe not. But uh, yeah. basically a science PhD. Unless you're working on the DeepMind stuff that is generating art from uh, mm -hmm. other similar art, and then it might actually be super <laughs> useful. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I assumed that it was all just CS PhDs, but you're saying that someone oh, no. in a science field... Who, I mean, they know how to program, and oh, then yeah, they know it, enough math to be able to decipher the, the AI papers. I I think that's what it comes down to. Or they don't know how okay. to program very well, actually. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't think knowing how to program is necessarily a requirement. In this listener's case, it turned out to be a match made in heaven, right? PhD background, 10 years of practical software development experience. Yeah, really solid developer, right? plus someone but, who can who can understand what on earth... Uh, recurrent neural network even yeah, means exactly but most of the machine learning scientists that i know and i know a fair bit they don't consider themselves developers yeah uh have you heard that phrase about a data scientist where there's someone who knows less math than a than a real scientist and is a worse developer than a real developer <laughs> but they make more money than both of them <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yep yeah it's kind of that combination of skills anyways yep. Cool. That sounds like it worked out really well for you also. So both of mm -hmm. these are, I don't know if they counter our points or not, actually, because we did kind of say that PhDs are great for this advanced work. Well, I think one of the core tenets of this podcast is that we are never wrong. So it would be impossible for them to counter our points. That's true. Um, <laughs> and we can edit these before we post them. So we'll just add a little, just as Dave and Jameson predicted to the end of all of them. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much for your comment. Cool. Uh, should we read our first question? Yeah, my turn? Yes. Okay, this one comes from an anonymous listener as well, uh, who writes, how do I deal with a supervisor who has the need to be important? After four months in my new job as a junior full-stack developer in a small startup, I have come to understand that my supervisor needs to feel important and be the smartest person in the room. When I ask a question, he begins answering about something totally different and starts using technical words that sometimes, I think, don't even exist. <laughs> <laughs> I have tried to explain in a nice way that usually when I ask about something, he starts talking about other things that are not relative to the question, but the two times I've nicely tried this have simply worsened the situation. It is making me look super bad in the office. I want to leave my job, but I'm afraid I will simply find someone like this in my next job as well. <laughs> oh. maybe the same person will quit at the same time and follow you to the new job <laughs> what a coincidence <laughs> so my you just make me feel so smart i just want to be around you <laughs> <laughs> so my question is how do you deal with developers that have this attitude a second question i'd like to ask oh wait a minute we have a one question limit here sorry <laughs> Okay, we'll let we'll let See this one in sixty nine more episodes, yeah. friend. <laughs> we'll let this one back okay. in line. <laughs> a second question I'd like to ask: According to a close colleague or friend in the office, this person feels threatened over the ideas I contribute to the project, which maybe is true. Should I stop giving ideas for the project? Oh, oh, this sounds really hard. What you need to do is just crush your dreams and your hopes. Just tamp it down. 
just become a drone. Okay. And and then stop contributing beyond mechanically typing out what the smarter person tells you to type out. <laughs> Have you ever worked with someone who who you felt like was trying to kind of one up you or or show that they were smart? Uh, I'm trying to think back. Uh, yes, I just thought of one. How did you deal with it? Well, I was in a slightly different situation because I was a little more senior than this person. Oh, you were more senior than the person who was trying to one up. Exactly. Uh, okay. And so it didn't feel threatening. It just felt annoying, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, yeah. But I think this listener feels threatened by this to the point that he wants to quit. Um, uh, but in my situation, it was just like, oh, geez, stop it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I would move on with my life and it, I was no worse off. Yeah. I... I don't think I've had it with a senior developer, a senior person to me either. I have had situations where it was a colleague Mm -hmm. or someone more junior. I have had situations where more senior people genuinely did know way more than I did. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they weren't the best at communicating, but, but it didn't feel like they were trying to just like crush me. It was just like they weren't great communicators, but they were communicating the knowledge they had. And it was a little scary earlier on. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, this I just thought of one. Ask- no, I just thought of one. A what? real, a legitimate situation. No, there was. I, uh, I went to work for a company, and there was a, uh, a scientist who had developed a lot of the original stuff, like a lot of the algorithms and things mm-hmm. that were in use at the company. And I had a lot of questions. Um, about how it worked and you know I would ask questions like you know the scientist would say well you have to do it this way and I would say or else what you know and he would be super threatened by that and then he'd start kind of monologuing about stuff and, and I got the impression that he really was he felt threatened and wanted he'd kind of go on these rants and these philosophical monologuing sessions that in the end basically boiled down to I don't know <laughs> you know like I never tried that or or uh, um you know, they, it's hard to explain, like, but it sounds really similar to this situation. And you want to know how okay. I resolved that situation? How? I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious because I actually just remembered a very similar situation. It wasn't a scientist, but it was like the original developer of a large and complex system. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, me asking questions about it threatened this developer quite a bit. Okay. How, how do you know he was threatened, he or she? I am inferring based on what I know about how people work. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's kind like, of funny. <laughs> it, 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 it was like the answers, I would say, I don't know, like a third or a quarter of the time, there was a, there was a real answer of like, because of this technical constraint, some of the time was just like, I don't know, I just had to get it done. But but they would never admit it. They would always they would they would just like come up with fake reasons why instead of just saying I don't know like I was trying to learn it and I had to mm-hmm. get it done quickly okay. and that's just what I did and 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 it got a little aggressive at times, little little hot under the collar. Yeah, yeah. Because and to be fair, I think this person had a reasonable justification for feeling threatened because they kind of were threatened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they had a similar outcome <laughs> to to what you described, Dave. Hmm. 
<laughs> but I th- I think the key thing there was I didn't I don't feel like it made me look bad because I feel like I knew enough to be secure in asking questions and and okay. uh because I didn't know the system didn't make me dumb it just meant I didn't know it I didn't know the all the inner workings and all the quirks and stuff um so I was fine asking questions and and getting sometimes a little bit testy answers mm-hmm. because they would either tell me like oh okay there isn't actually a reason or it's like no this is a giant pitfall and if I didn't ask this question I would have broken everything mm-hmm. so it was it was it was fine it was totally worth it but I wasn't I wasn't super junior this person's been working for four months as a junior developer. Mm-hmm. So I assume that means they've been working for four months, period, as a developer. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, and and the fact that their supervisor is using words they don't understand um, doesn't necessarily mean they're making words up. I mean, <laughs> at four months into software, there's a lot of words you don't there know. There are there's a lot, lot of words. words. I, I still don't know. <laughs> there are so many weird um, words in software, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, who even knows what big Omicron is? <laughs> or, um, or funks. Yeah. Uh, co-free monads. Um, <laughs> so so just, I guess... Wait a minute, you just made that up. Co-free monads? You no, want to those are smart. a thing. <laughs> no, I, can, I can't tell you what they are. I can tell you they exist, though. Okay, and, so and, fancy words that actually exist is like the name dropping of software development. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Uh, it is interesting that most of our examples have come from functional programming. I know. I don't, I don't want to say anything. That's Listen, a hard, that's some a hard of my scale. best friends are functional programmers, but, <laughs> but. Uh, those people love their jargon. You're so functionalist. Um, <laughs> what's that? You're so functionalist. Yeah. Anyways, my point is, it is very possible that your supervisor is an egomaniac trying to manipulate you into looking stupid. It's also possible that they're just that they're also saying real things that you don't understand yet as a new developer mm-hmm. and they're just not good at explaining things. Um yep. I, I feel like uh there's it's probably more likely that they're just not a great communicator and also they're saying real things than that they're just straight up 100% making up nonsense to put you in your place. I, I bet there's a little bit of both that they're they're just not good at explaining things to new developers. That's right. And, and, it, tur- and it turns out oh, go ahead. that not being a good communicator is... I would say rampant in the software development field, right? I yeah. Mean, odds are yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. If you just pluck an average developer out of the group, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's likely that they might not be the best communicator. That might even be true of humanity as a whole. <laughs> just pluck a random human. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Wait, no, that can't be true. They'd be an average communicator. That's right. That's right. What I'm saying is we need a we need a stats PhD. Yeah, I don't get this to help us answer this. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's not very helpful to you beyond just like it, I don't know. Part of being new is feeling overwhelmed by all the new stuff out there, and and um, that's a normal feeling. Yes, and and it's also sadly normal to sometimes uh, have people enforce that feeling by using a lot of jargon. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I mean, they, they genuinely might be the smartest person in the room, too. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they have a need to feel that way, they might actually be it. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that that information, you know, Jameson, you said it might not be that helpful, but I actually think it's pretty actionable because if you change your mindset and say, I'm just going to assume that everything this guy says is real and he's not making stuff up and I'm going to take it as an opportunity to go learn all these words and see why he was using them in the context that he was and make notes, write down the things he says that you don't understand, take them back to your desk, do some research and figure out why he may have used them. And for the things you can't figure out, take it on as like a mentor relationship with this guy. He may not Just be open to the crappiest to mentor ever. I know. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those gruff sports movie mentors where they're like reluctant. They're not, they're not happy or, or nice at all. Uh-huh. But deep inside they have a heart of gold and at the end you'll get like a little head ruffle and like ah kid you're all right <laughs> but meanwhile they just abuse the crap out of you <laughs> yeah yeah but you have to yeah you have to suffer for that knowledge <laughs> but you love them more than anyone because it was so hard earned yep <laughs> i think that only happens in movies <laughs> <laughs> i think you're right don't do that but you could take it as an opportunity to learn these new words and worst case scenario you find out that he is completely snowballing you is that the right word i don't know anyway you might be hang on wait yeah we got a situation here where you said a word that i didn't know to make yourself look smarter (laughs) (laughs) code red we have a situation uh he's just uh emptying your water bottle you know, <laughs> classic <laughs> idiom in the English language that definitely exists. Yeah, I, I like that. I I do find it unlikely that this person is 100% making up words. They might be trying to justify themselves with like technical stuff that doesn't apply. I, I've seen that a lot more than straight up making stuff up where someone will bring mm-hmm. up like, oh, it's not acid compliance. And like, that's a real thing that means stuff and is useful sometimes. And in like a tiny web app that has two users, it doesn't matter at all. (laughs) So that's still a learning opportunity. Developers will often use that stuff with non-technical people as well, where they just, they have some degree of like mystique and trust where they Mm -hmm. just say these magic incantations. And then the non-technical people are like, well, (laughs) he he said the, the rights on the, on the, on the spinning plate hard drives would destroy it in in a couple (laughs) years. So we can't do it. Okay. That's what he said. He, they, they know that stuff. Oh man. And, and part of, I think part of growing as a developer is learning all those constraints and like how they apply to real products. So this might be, you kind of use this stuff and develop your self-defense skills against it. So if you go learn what acid compliance means, like Dave said, and then you learn when it doesn't matter, then then you can push back a little bit more intelligently instead of just saying like, I don't believe you. Acid compliance, that's not a real thing. <laughs> so, So I think there's one other possibility here. Um, one of the communication breakdowns that I've seen between developers, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> one of the communication breakdowns I've seen between developers is when you have people talking at different levels. And and by level, I mean, like, you'll have someone speaking at like a pie in the sky, futuristic, philosophical level. Meanwhile, they're having a conversation with someone who's talking boots on the ground, ship it tomorrow level. And those people cannot see eye to eye when they're in a conversation sometimes. 
And that may be happening here. You know, maybe your your boss, your supervisor is throwing out all these big words and stuff and they, mm, they don't kind seem of, kind relevant. Kind of like idealism. Yeah, exactly. They don't seem relevant for your situation because your boot's on the ground. But he is thinking, you know, long-term, five-year plan, you know, we could do anything. And you're thinking, yeah, but I just need to get through this this stack trace. <laughs> you know, that. so it's possible you have a, an, a mismatch there. Yeah. It also sounds like this happens a lot in meetings where there's some degree of like public calling out or shaming or something. Yeah. And and that really stinks. First of all, that's not, that's a bad thing for a supervisor to do. Um, you can answer questions and bring up concerns, but you shouldn't ever make people feel stupid in front of other people in meetings. I feel like unless you're like Steve Jobs and then he gets away <laughs> with it, I guess. But maybe it's an environment, maybe, maybe a solution is to ask in more private settings or to ask other people that aren't this mm-hmm. supervisor. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to answer questions you have or bring up feedback about the project, then um, th- there might be some performance going on here where the audience makes them behave in, in a yes. less than ideal way. Yeah, I've seen that and it, it's unfortunate and totally happens. Yeah, and and we mentioned feeling attacked earlier. You, you also mentioned it in your question. If they feel threatened, taking away the audience makes it a lot less threatening because if you're bringing up concerns or issues with their ideas, then suddenly they're like defending themselves in front of a group and then they get all uh, defensive, like I just said. But if you do it one-on-one, I think it's easier to avoid getting getting your guard up, worrying about looking stupid in front of other people. Yep. Um, I'm afraid I will simply find someone like this in my next job as well. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a fairly common trope. <laughs> you can definitely find jobs without people like this. Oh, yeah. You can find people like this in a lot of places, though. I would say that it's well, unlikely oh, that ahead. you're necessary. Like, I would say the chances of running into this again are low unless the problem is you, which I don't want to yeah. come right out and say that, but it could be like that. That's it, it's possible. And I would do some soul searching to try to figure that out. And if that's the case, the problem is going to follow you <laughs> to the next job, right? Unless you really yeah. address it here. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a shining note to end the question. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we should say about it? I would say I probably would not quit this job after four months. I would keep trudging along and seeing what I can learn from it. And if you give yourself the mindset that it's short-term for you and you maybe even give yourself a deadline and say, look, I'm going to take three more months and if the yeah. situation isn't better, I'm going to bail, that'll give you your mind freedom to really be malleable and flex with this situation and see what you can learn from it while not feeling you know, like you have to make a decision to quit your job every two minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Right cool. on. Question answered. So answered. We have one more question, which I will read now. I have been a developer at my current company for about two years, and I'm looking for a change of scenery. I really enjoy working for the company and have no desire to find a new job, but the location has just grown old. I'm considering moving to a larger city about two hours away, but would like to keep my job and work remote. Is this something either of you have had experience with? And if so, when is a good time to mention my consideration to relocate? I don't want to bring it up too early and have it backfire on me. Thanks. So I love how this question asker says change of scenery, but it's literally a change of scenery. It's not a metaphor for quitting your job. They just literally (laughs) want to change the scenery around them. Yeah. 
uh, have you tried new curtains in your home or apartment? <laughs> you can achieve a scenery change with wallpaper, yeah. curtains, <laughs> furniture. The succulent plants are very popular among millennials right now. <laughs> Try acquiring some of those. <laughs> so I have never um, moved from full-time on-site to full-time remote, but I have worked around several people who have. Do you have any experience with this, Dave? No, I have been on the other end of that question where someone comes to me and says, I want to move and work remotely. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. What went through your head when they asked that? Oh, I just blurted out, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) You dare? (laughs) I will say this, though. What uh, gives you the right to ask me? (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) Um, No, that's not what I did. Uh, I will say this though, among management, so there were three or three managers, I think, involved, and and this one engineer came to his manager and said, "I want to, I want to move, and I want to continue working for this company, but remotely." And I will say, we did discuss it, uh, and it gave us an opportunity to think hard about whether this team member was a good fit, and um, because basically it was an opportunity to cut ties if we wanted to. We, you know, we could say, mm. yeah, you're going to move. We are not going to continue the working relationship. Like it was, it's a, it is a, a decision point. So you hmm. will be putting management into a decision-making mode that they would not have been in otherwise. So I would say ship something really awesome and then go in. <laughs> <laughs> Did, w- was there any uh, room for concern that way? Was there, or, a little, or, or yeah. was it just... Okay. Yeah, this was what it was a up? case. Uh, this engineer ended up moving and and um, continuing to work uh, for the company, but it was like uh, you know, it was an opportunity to think to to think about things. Um, you know, th- there are some people I think on on every team who say I want to work remotely, and we say, okay, you can work from anywhere on the planet in any time zone, and you can keep working for my company. Just please keep working for me. You know, mm-hmm. and then there are, and that's like 5% of the engineers, you know, and then everyone else, it's going to be like a, a decision point, I think. Hmm. Interesting. So what, what made you decide to let the engineer work remotely? Oh, I'm trying to remember so long ago. Let's see. The gifts they brought you. Yeah. Put an apple on my desk. <laughs> I honestly can't remember the individual criteria. Okay. Um, so the, I, I've seen it happen at least three times on people that were, or, or two people that were on my team. Um, and in all those cases, they were just really incredible engineers, developers, um, who were doing fantastic work. And they were also very set on moving no matter what. And it was basically like, I will just get a different job if, if you don't let me do it. They weren't threatening, but like they were committed yeah. to moving. Uh, they were also very helpful and, and useful to have on the team and mm-hmm. had a track record of delivering really good work. Um, and in those cases, it was a no brainer. They had, they had done great work. We really wanted them to stay on the team and at the company. And, and so we just did it. I don't think I've seen it in person where there was anyone that was kind of on the fence about whether mm-hmm. we would let them or not. Huh? Yeah. One, one of the people um, moved across the country. Another person would go on regular vacations for like three months every year to, to Europe. 
um, and another person moved their whole family to Europe. Um, <laughs> wow! Like permanently. I'm so, so envious. Yeah, I I'm I'm not envious of the of the circumstances because technically I could do that if I wanted to. I'm envious of the ability to just decide to do that. I'm just so rooted where I live mm-hmm. with family and also laziness that <laughs> I, I just know I'm not going to pick up and move to Costa Rica. You're, or you're paralyzed by inertia. I I am. I have put down roots. Anyways, so so I think the most useful advice I can give you is be really good at your job. <laughs> be yeah. very visibly good at your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide how willing you are to find a different job. Because if you're if you're 100% moving, then you're going to move and you'll just get a different job. And you can That's find right. re- remote jobs. That is, oh, that is one more wrinkle here. It sounds like... You didn't really mention it in your question, but I gather that this is not a remote company, that remote is the exception. And that's a very different experience than working remote for a remote company. And it can be pretty isolating um, if everyone's used to talking face-to-face and getting work done with people in the office. You can feel left out a lot because people won't communicate with you because they just don't see you. So you have to work harder both to communicate your efforts and to find out what's going on. You have to make sure yep. what you're doing is visible and you have to make sure that you know all the architect all the architecture discussions that are happening or the product changes or I don't know. It, it's a lot more work communicating with people that tend to forget you exist sometimes. <laughs> that's true and I think that's a bit of a separate question is, you know, are you remote work material? Because not Yeah, yeah, is. but I mean I think being able to demonstrate that you are remote work material, both that you do great work for the company right now, but also showing like, uh, hey, I've, I've, yeah. I've looked into what the issues are and I'm confident I can overcome them. That is a really good point. If someone showed up at my desk as a manager and asked me those questions and came to me with a bullet point of remote work challenges and plans that they had to overcome those challenges, I would be very impressed. And I would yeah. say, you've clearly thought this through. I'm much more inclined to grant you this than I would be otherwise. That would be yeah. especially important for a company like Jameson said, in this case, if it's not remote work oriented already, you know, bring the concerns up front. That's so good. Such a good idea. And then make sure you post a lot on social media at like two in the afternoon of you just hanging out on your couch <laughs> playing video games or like another great day at the beach. Yep. What an awesome week. <laughs> I, so I've personally discovered remote is super cool and it's hip and, and there's there's this cultural thing that goes along with it. And I've learned that it does not make me happy, that I'm real sad when I work remote. You I know, don't work as well. That's so interesting to hear you say that because all your hobbies, you're out seeking isolation, but at work you want yeah. to be around engineers. Yeah, I do. I just I just, I just like those people. You're such They're a complex so being, Jameson. Just can't understand I, you have depth you're sophisticated only yeah it only comes out in the poems i write <laughs> and the black eyeshadow that i put on at home <laughs> yeah have we answered the question anything else we should say well let, let's look at this last sentence i don't want to bring it up too early and have it backfire on me what does that mean too early like what what would be a too early uh i mean they've worked there for two years maybe they feel like they haven't paid their dues yet haven't earned people's trust two years that's plenty of time for people to know who you are and what you're capable of yeah i agree two years doesn't feel too early to me or or maybe it's like 
too early since the time I ruined the whole company on accident. <laughs> Back when I accidentally the prod database. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh I, I okay, so here's one other thing. If they're if the your manager seems really reluctant to grant you this opportunity, why don't you engage in a trial period where you stay in your current scenery and you just work from home a number of days per week as a trial period. And then you can assess at the end and then do a darn good job performing while you're in this trial period and demonstrate that you can do it. And, uh, mm. you know, put that out there and say, I want to do a one month trial and, and see how it goes. Maybe your manager will be likely to or more likely to accept it. Yeah. One other thing to look out for is I, I have seen places that will, I don't know if it's deliberate or inadvertent. They'll just dangle this in front of people forever and never actually do it. Mm -hmm. I guess it's, I've seen it more with salary things. Uh, we're like, yeah, well, you'll, you'll get a raise next period. We, we just can't right now because of business. I, this one is a little easier to force because you can just like move and see what they do. Mm -hmm. But I, if you're doing the trial period, make sure it has an end date on it that you're, yeah, yeah. That, that is unambiguous so that you can actually get an answer instead of just like, well, we'll get back to you. We'll evaluate it. You'll hear back from us. Yep. Because the danger there is they don't want to, but they also don't want to say no, so they just never give you an answer. <laughs> yep. All right. Did we answer it? Indubitably. Another question answered. Another one down. We're closer. <laughs> one question closer to answering all the questions. <laughs> How can people go to ask their own questions? They can go to softskills.audio and see the form on that website. Um, there's a link right up at the top of the website to ask a question. Thank you so much for your questions. They're great. We really enjoy uh, reading them and, and answering them. They help us mm -hmm. Thanks become so much. more powerful. Yeah, thank we you. We also <laughs> have really been enjoying... Wait, did you say powerful? <laughs> what? Did you say powerful? Yeah, I said they help us become more powerful. I've been playing huh. a lot of Dungeons and Dragons lately, so uh, oh, that's where okay. my brain is. It's all about like... You mean you mean literally like hit points you get more yeah yeah does D, &D use the word hit points they do yeah yeah i knew that <laughs> anyway jameson's Listen, getting all the star power. wars that stuff's for nerds D, &D <laughs> is what distinguished people of fine taste play <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent yeah so, thanks very much. We love your questions. If you have comments about this episode or any prior episode, please use the same form to leave those comments for us like our two listeners did today. We would love to hear your opinions on the things that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please share it as well. We love getting more listeners. That also increases our hit points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think with that, we are done. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.